My paper deals with the U.S. intelligence community, so bear with me. Some of these concepts, I'll, I'll do my best to define them. You may not be familiar with them. Uh, biographers of Austrian school economists face at least two significant obstacles when attempting historical research within the U.S. intelligence community's wilderness of mirrors. The first is lack of experience litigating and obtaining documents under the Federal Freedom of Information Act. The second obstacle is a general unfamiliarity with investigative reporting and open sources and methods within the intelligence field. Uh, I did investigative reporting between 1983 and 1989 while working as a journalist, and that experience helped me write this paper. While conducting historical research into the Austrian school, I filed a FOIA request with the Central Intelligence Agency for declassified records pertaining to several deceased economists, including Ludwig von Mises. The CIA cited two FOIA exemptions in denying uh, my request. Those were the B1 national security and B3 sources and methods exemptions. However, I was able to get the story that I'm going to present to you from private and other government archives. And what that story is, is that Ludwig von Mises, during World War II, worked with U.S. intelligence in the struggle against fascism, Italian and German. And this is in contrast to the claim by Herbert Marcuse made in a uh, 1934 article reprinted in a 1968 book that Mises was somehow sympathetic to fascism based on one paragraph in Liberalism, a book that he'd written in the 1920s. Uh, both Murray Rothbard in 1981 and Ralph Rako in 1996 attempted to respond to Marcuse. I'm responding to Marcuse using correspondence that I obtained from these archives. And I'm arguing that uh, these claims of Marcuse, viewed in light of his work as an intelligence analyst and the CIA's denial of my request, raise some important questions about government secrecy. Uh, let me say that this paper would not have been possible without uh, the cooperation of Dr. Jeffrey Herbener at Grove City College, who oversees the Mises uh, archives. And uh, I'm building on the work that was done by Guido Holzman. Uh, I'm going to start by noting that uh, Mises was a target of the Gestapo during World War II. He was exfiltrated from France with his wife, Margit. Uh, the story of his, of his uh, in the help in the struggle against fascism, though, has its origins in his World War I military service. Halsman is the authority on that, uh, on that service. And uh, the important point about his service, in sum, is that Ludwig von Mises served in the military and understood logistics. I'll give you a definition of logistics. Logistics deals with the procurement, supply, and maintenance of military equipment and with the movement, evacuation, and hospitalization of personnel and provision of other services. These become issues that Ludwig von Mises is dealing with as he writes unsigned editorials for the New York Times during World War II, commenting on the logistical problems that the Nazis face on the Eastern Front. Okay, uh, so 
I mentioned Halsman, uh, Margie Mises, Ludwig von Mises' uh, wife, wrote a memoir, and that memoir is the authoritative story of how they escaped from Europe as the Nazis closed in on them. Now, I'm going to uh, talk briefly about Mises' work as a wartime analyst uh, writing for the New York Times before getting into what the archives show. A subplot of Mises' work with U.S. intelligence during World War II was his work as a wartime analyst while living in New York for the American paper of record, the New York Times. Marjit Mises, Graves in 19, uh, 1993, and Holzman all referred to this relationship, and additional information is provided by the New York Times Index for 1943, which is open source. The New York Times published at least eight unsigned editorials written by Mises and another two letters to the editor in 1942 and 43. It's likely that another two unsigned editorials published by the Times were written by Mises. Just to give you the flavor for this, his fourth unsigned editorial, which gets into logistics, entitled The German Supply Problem, published 26 December 1943, notes the Nazis' problems in the, uh, on the Eastern Front. Quote, it becomes increasingly clear that the Russian campaign has strained German manpower and material resources to the utmost. In the earlier stages of the war, when they were advancing, the German armies had to transform the wider Russian railroad gauge, it's wide, into the narrower European gauge. Immense quantities of German material Iron and steel, lumber, cement, electrical equipment are embedded in the vast sandy steppes and swamps of Russia. So he's analyzing logistical problems just like an analyst. And in fact, he's approached in 1943 by the uh, Office of Strategic Services, which is the predecessor of the CIA, um, in a letter from Taylor Stark. Now, just back up for one moment. Uh, Mises is doing this logistical work. He's also concerned with post-war reconstruction. This is pointed out by uh, Halsman in his biography. Mises was convinced the fascists would lose World War II at the conflict's onset in September 1939. He was already thinking about the time after the war. By May of 1940, he elaborated a fairly detailed plan for post-war reconstruction, but kept it private. He referenced uh, post-war reconstruction in a January 1941 article written for Trusts and Estates magazine. But then in January of 1943, he actually wrote an editorial, an op-ed, for the New York Times exclusively on that topic of post-war reconstruction. So he's out there. His name is now in the paper of record and he receives this letter November 15th, 1943, from Taylor Stark. This is in the Mises Archive at Grove City College. The American Defense um, Harvard Group, according to the Harvard Library Archives, is um, uh, the Biographical Records Committee was authorized by the OSS to make a study of learned personnel in enemy and enemy-controlled countries. As Stark's letter to Mises begins, quote, the American Defense Harvard Group at the instigation of the Office of Strategic Services 
has undertaken a survey of reliable individuals in enemy and Nazi-dominated countries. Though our inquiry is primarily concerned with the educational, learned, and artistic world, we are always glad to receive pertinent data about anyone, no matter what his occupation might be. Uh, Stark also tells Mises that um, uh, the establishment of fascism in Italy and the committee's anxiousness to have the names of rising young men are, are the reason they're writing him. Okay. Second of all, he reassures Mises about his own personal safety. Remember, this is wartime now. Uh, and he tells Mises, you need have no hesitation on the score of injuring unwittingly any friends or acquaintances who are still within the reach of the Gestapo. They're interested in people that are back in Europe, not in the United States. Okay, Stark did not receive a reply. He approached Mises in a second letter dated 12 January 1944. However, Mises within three days replied. He had taken some time to consult with a colleague, uh, an Austrian, and he provided five names to, uh, to Stark for the OSS. Okay, there were other approaches by the government to Mises. In the interim between Stark's first and second letters, Mises received a letter from Lieutenant Colonel Edward L. Barlow, Chief of the New York Office of the War Department's Military Intelligence Division. And this is a copy of the uh, letter, okay? And in this letter, uh, it states that it's been brought to our attention that you might have information of value which would be useful to the work conducted in this office. Mises replied, and in fact, he was later contacted by the Office of War Information, uh, the Writers War Board, and he was asked to provide information for a shortwave broadcast into Italy, occupied Italy, uh, against fascism. Remember, Marcusa is accusing Mises of being sympathetic to fascism. He's repeating that claim. Leftists have repeated that claim into the 21st century in articles and books. And here is Mises working with U.S. intelligence against Fascism. He's providing names to the OSS about people who can help in the denazification process after the war ends. He's helping the OWI with a broadcast into Italy. That's what these archives show. So finally, as World War II neared its conclusion in Europe, Mises received an 8 March 1945 letter from Colonel S.V. Constant, Security and Intelligence Division, U.S. War Department. The letter noted that Mises had been suggested as a possible source of information and asked him to complete an attached form and return it to this office. He did. In fact, Mises identified 11 Austrian economists and lawyers who did not yield to the Nazis and are at present in Austria, five German non-Nazis and seven non-Nazis in Austria. Mises provided additional information on five non-Nazis in an 11 April 1945 letter, of course, on 8 May of 1945, World War II ended. Now, the fate of Mises' uh, friends, I think, could be a, a completely separate paper, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll narrow that long list down to five. He gave the same names to Stark in uh, January of 44, and then the War Department in early 1945, Unbeknownst to Mises, three of the group had already perished at the hands of fascists. One was first separated from his family and forced to reside in a mass residence in Vienna, according to Halsman. He was later deported and never seen again. Another was arrested by the Gestapo in 1942 and later perished while in captivity 
Finally, uh, one of the others was, along with his wife, uh, perished in a German concentration camp, again, according to Halsman. Now, one of the, f- one of the five, though, uh, Tautcher, who was a Chamber of Commerce official and also a pre-war Austrian minister of trade and transport, lived and played a key role in Austria's post-war reconstruction. He actually led the uh, ERP under the Marshall Plan in Austria and was an early supporter of European economic integration. So I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, I mentioned Murray and uh, Ralph Rako defending Mises against Marcusa. I've come about it a different way. I've gone into these archives to come up with this correspondence. I think it's compelling. And I think it shows that this is who Ludwig von Mises was. He was an anti-fascist. Okay. However, government secrecy increases the probability of false histories. One characteristic, of course, of intelligence services is their creation of legends, which are false histories. These do not fool competing services most of the time. They're designed to fool the people. And this is a point made by Victor Marchetti, a former CIA officer. In fact, legislators in the press in many cases are intimidated by the resources that an intelligence service can bring to bear. Independent historians face a similar challenge. American journalists have tools at their disposal. FOIA is one example, though open source intelligence is oftentimes more useful when reporting on the intelligence community. Open source intelligence in this case reveals several ironies and several unanswered questions. Now, the New York Times, in noting Marcuse's death, 31 July 1979, quote, during World War II, Dr. Marcuse served as a European intelligence analyst with the Army's Office of Strategic Services. After the war, he spent four years doing research for the quote-unquote government. The government, in this instance, is revealed in another open-source material to be the CIA. This open-source material is O'Toole, 1988, O'Toole was former chief of the Problems Analysis Branch of the CIA. According to his book, Marcuse served in the OSS's Research and Analysis Branch during World War II. After the war, he went to work at the State Department, and finally, he supervised intelligence studies for the CIA. Okay? This leads us to note this irony that Mises and Marcusa both worked with the OSS in the anti-fascist struggle in different ways. Marcusa as an analyst, Mises providing human intelligence. However, there's one unresolved question. Did Marcusa know that Mises had provided intelligence to his employer, the OSS, during World War II? We don't know because of government secrecy, the denial of my FOIA requests. Observers might speculate that Marcuse's intelligence analysis of Central European fascists suggests he knew of Mises' anti-fascist work. Um, You can't prove that, though. And the compartmentalization of intelligence services uh, prevents us from really coming up with a definitive answer without some documents that uh, we can get out of the agency. However, I believe we can bury this false history that uh, Marcuse and his uh, followers have erected, uh, the revelation of these documents from archives establishes that Mises worked with U.S. intelligence during World War II. He was not a fascist. However, government secrecy prevents the American people from knowing whether another legend has emerged in its place. Thank you.